Hey there, it's Nick. A quick announcement. I'll be hosting an online listening party for our Sturgeon Rider and Winged Dog Patreon supporters on December 3rd. I'll be presenting our episode La Linea, which has yet to be released in the public feed. Anna Adlerstein, the producer on that story, will join me for a Q&A on one of the thorniest episodes from the past couple of seasons. Now, it, usually the term Q&A isn't exactly the most sexy description, but whenever I've done these sorts of screenings in the past, they always seem to generate a lot of fantastic discussions, so I hope you'll join me. Also, if you stick around to the end of the event, I'll be previewing the next season of Love and Radio, which is shaping up to be far and away one of the most ambitious undertakings, not only of this show, but any podcast anywhere. And I swear to you, that is not an exaggeration. To RSVP, please visit loveandradio.org member and sign up for the Sturgeon Rider or Winged Dog tiers. And listen, if you can't afford to be a sustained member at that level, it's all good. Just sign up, get the link and downgrade right afterwards. I don't mind. Again, that's December 3rd and go to loveandradio.org slash member for more details. Thanks. There are these two worlds. You know, you go to a head shop, you sell these really intricate pipes. Bongs, dildos, butt plugs, like that's the money. Those people are working over a torch with a glass called borosilicate. That glass can handle heat shock. What we're really talking about is a lighter. There's a line in the sand, and on the other side of that line is soft glass workers. We call them like furnace workers. They call us softies. You know, they're like goblet jocks, people that make giant stuff. Yard art, you know, that's a whole thing that people crush at yard art. We're talking just big leaves and things like that. There's kind of different, you know, factions to it. They're just people that are solely hired guns. The industrial, like, factory boys, they could give a shit what color it is. They could give a shit what they're even making. And then you got a lot of these kids that leave college. They have the aspirations of being, like, the next Chihuly or whoever. A lot of them just wind up as hired guns. You're listening to Love and Radio. I'm Nick Vanderkolk. Today's episode, Death Dust, featuring Robert Birch. I packed my backpack and I was like, Dad, I'm, I'm moving to Seattle to be an artist. Like, I'm not, I'm not going back to college. And he goes, he was reading the paper and he goes, don't ever ask me for money. <laughs> and he turned the page. <laughs> Okay, and then I left. And what what is it about Seattle? Like, why why is that the mecca? Because in the seventies, Ben Moore, uh, an American artist, went to Murano. You've learned a lot from your stay here. Very much. There's there's really no other place in the world besides Venice where you can learn what they do with glass. Murano is an island outside of Venice that produced the best glass for centuries. Glass has been one of the greatest exports from Venice for the last 750 years. Murano is where they really harbored all the secrets kind of for centuries and convinced a couple Italians to come to the U.S. to show us how to work with glass. This, guy, this is one of the top five glass blowers in Venice. 
which means he's one of the top five glass blowers in the world. Venetians were the first ones to figure out how to make mirrors, and that totally changed the direction of art. He had itself portraits all of a sudden. The reason that the glass workers were put on this island is they burned down the city, not once but twice. They burned down Venice twice. And so at a certain point, the king said, yeah, forget about that, and threw them all on this island, but by doing so, like, super, like harbored their secrets really well. The Venetians well. haven't always encouraged foreigners to learn their craft. The surrounding countries would say, if you can make it off Murano and get to England or France or whatever, we'll give you your own factory, we'll knight you, we'll give you anything you want. Like, we want those secrets so the bad. The early glassblowers were not allowed to leave Venice in case they sold the secrets of their skill abroad. But they would catch a lot of these guys, and they would cut their hands off and throw them back on the island to live out the rest of their life. The no ones hands. who tried to were chased across the lagoon, and if caught, were dropped quietly in a deep channel reserved for this purpose. There's still mysterious boating accidents that happen when, like, a color formula seems to like hop from one studio to another. The reason that like so many studios popped up is because they were all offshoots from like these original Italians that came to the U.S. Seattle is the mecca in the U.S., and that's, like, why I moved there. After watching all this, like, YouTube videos of these Seattle, like, glass floors, I was, like, super intimidated. I went to the glass shop, or the glass color store, which is, like, a separate warehouse where they have, like, different bags of color that you buy and, like, a bulletin board. And so on the bulletin board was a ad and said, like, hot shop assistant needed, call this number or whatever. So I was like, okay, sick. Like, this is going to be it. So I called this uh, phone number and this, like, super spooky voice picked up. What are you calling about? Um, the glass blowing, glass blowing ad. Oh, great, yeah. we got this big show in Vegas in, like, two months and, like, I need help immediately and, like... Uh, uh, we'll pay 10 bucks an hour to do anything just like get up to North Bend I was like dude I don't have a car that's like two hours driving I don't care what you gotta do like get on a bus like I'll, I'll pick you up I was like okay weird so sick like I'm gonna go be a glass floor now full on like going yeah. for it took the bus two hours out to North Bend I called the number again and this guy goes like okay I'll be coming around the corner and like a white box truck so I like hopped in this van and this it's like this big fat curly haired dude yeah like uh this like super uh, intense uh, voice and he's like i'll, I'll make it all these these this glass art and it's like mumbling like kind of rambling the whole time like, right well, so we're going to this house steve is the investor like i got a shop there and so we like cruise this property and it's like a decrepit five or six story house with like cars parked everywhere pipples everywhere and we meet this guy called steve he's like a washed up hugh hefner has a robe on he's like smoking a pipe so what do you guys need me to do? <laughs> Here's a van. Here's the keys. Go home. Grab your shit. You're going to work like one week on, a couple days off. Pay 10 bucks an hour and do anything. Like, you're, you're on. They took me into the back and it's like this glass shop. This dude has built from scratch that had to be the sketchiest glass shop I'd ever seen. Aluminum foil on the furnace, no doors on the equipment, and like there's like a gas line like stuck in the side of this thing. Just about the sketchiest thing you could do. Like, all right, well, like 10 bucks an hour sounds good to me. <laughs> like, 10 bucks an hour, like I'm rolling in it. We like found this like workflow. He would light up some of the equipment and I would have to sit there and watch it because the flames would blow out sometimes. And when that would happen, the room would just fill with propane. Oh, so right. someone had to like run over with the torch and like stick it back in there to light it. Otherwise, like you would explode the whole house. And uh, we made these terrible donkey dick bongs. These are my dream bongs. <laughs> <laughs>
So we'd make like five or six in a day. 12 to 14 inches long. And we had these like wings on the side. It's sort of donkey dick shape. It's just kind of a long, like frumpy shaft. Sad deflated donkey dick. It's kind of how they look. And every like weird pastel color. And we'd make crates for these donkey dick bunks. But they would line them in velvet. So more or less they looked like long, like cat coffins. These are my, what comes to me in my dreams. Wes was just this, like, fast-talking kind of schmuck where he was sort of like, Yeah, yeah, stick with me, kid. We're going to be making so much money and all this stuff. I just always knew, like, this guy's full of fucking shit. I can tell he's buttering me up, but I don't buy any of it. The way that the business shook down was, like, all these bongs are going to a trade show in Las Vegas. And it's just, like, a culmination of every, like, pot-smoking thing in one giant convention center. Steve had the bankroll, and he had, like, a bunch of dispensaries. He had been essentially conned by Wes to build this, like, shit shop, make all these bongs, and then they were going to go down there together as partners to this bong show, get the orders, and then take them back, and then together, like, make a business. Well, what Steve didn't really know is, like, he was just dealing with, like, a grade-A, like, huckster. So once all the, like, bongs were in their coffins, they put them in this, like, white box truck that I was initially picked up in, and, like, three days before, they were, like, Tweaker dudes there being paid in weed to like tune it up. You know, this comes an important detail later, but I was like, what are these like, you know, like methy dudes hanging out with like the hood open? Like, what are they doing? So none of my business. And I'm like wandering like through the kitchen and I'm like eating some Triscuits. Wes goes, well, what the fuck are you still doing here? I, you know, <laughs> eating a snack. Here's a credit card and the keys to the box truck. I'll see you in Vegas in three days. And I was like, uh... I've never driven a truck that big. And he's like, well, I guess you'll figure it out. Okay. I just got in the car with a bunch of, this is like a box of Triscuits and a backpack and a credit card. And I just like literally typed in like Google Maps to Vegas. And so I was like starting to cruise. It's like probably like two hours into it. And I get this phone call and they're like, you need to pull off an exit like, you know, like 350 or something. Like you're going to have a pilot vehicle. Make sure you don't do anything, any funny business. Don't run off these bones, try and sell them. I was like, good luck selling these things, man. But like, whatever you say, friendo. So I like pull off on this exit. And then this like white van like pulls up. And this other big fat guy comes out and he's like, Hey, I'm Ogre. What's up, dude? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm here to keep an eye on you for this drive. All right. Like, whatever. But there are some shady things going on there, too. Because in the front seat was a mountain of comforters. Yeah, we'll see what's going on there. So we get back. We're like cruising south and... We stop at this, like, Waffle House or something. And then, like, I see this, like, chick, like, get out of the comforter pile. And, like, a tiger onesie. Uh, I, I try to say hi, and she kind of didn't, like, say shit. And then just, like, went back into the comforter, like, uh, nest. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hey, Ogre, like, what's the deal? And he's like, I don't really know, man. Like, she's like, they're just not feeling too good. So we're, you and I are going to go get some, some waffles. I was like, all right, man. <laughs> so it turns out like ogre is like really intelligent the technical skill that he's got actually really good opinions about like glass and like high. he's kind of a weird like, savant these people get who I, like, so good kind of like learned to like even though he was like ordering like extra butter and stuff like that and just kind of like a like not like a healthy looking dude like always kind of sweating but like i liked him start mixing up other medium he was in like a talk sense in this whole like in all this madness glass is still sort of pigeonholed as kind of craft in the fight arts world because it's still generally like, connected to the hand. And so we get to like 
this hotel like two or three hours later and then this this girl in the tiger thing like runs in and just like gets in her own room and slams the door i was like man that's like a weird chick like whatever we like go inside ogre goes hey do you you care about the smell of weed um like no i'm good like i don't i don't really care he's like cool and pours like a pound of weed out on the table four or five big mason jars oh so you're the grower just like so i put it together he was the grower for this one of the dispensaries or whatever so he was going down to vegas for the show and who knows what was really going on there right So I wake up in the morning to the sound of this chick just like throwing up. Like, what's going on, Ogre? I don't know. I guess she's sick. I was like, all right, man. Well, I don't want her throwing up in my van, so she's going with you. Oh, sick. (laughs) (laughs) Do you even know her name by this point? No. No, No, we haven't spoken yet. So she steals a comforter from the hotel. Of course. (laughs) Makes a nest next to me. So I went and drive in and. Like an hour like later, she like pops up. Hey, I'm Caitlin. I was like, yo, what's up? I'm Robert, like, how's it going? <laughs> she was like, like, where are we? Nevada? <laughs> She's like, okay, cool. So like, what's your, what's your deal? My sister works for Steve and I'm, I'm coming down for the show with you guys. Well, like, cool, we're about halfway there. She's like, and then the hotel calls and they say like hey we're missing a comforter from like this room that was like assigned to this credit card oh yeah you should just bill that to the room man (laughs) cool like no sweat all right sweet the rest of the drive is uneventful and we get to vegas the hooters hotel (laughs) classy joint but it gets worse because the power has gone out for the hooters hotel like some something got busted (laughs) and it's sucks the bong guy wes and the investor they're all kind of like blowing smoke up my ass oh you did so good with this drive here we're gonna buy you a bunch of beer like you totally came through for us so here i am they give me like 100 bucks and like bought me some beer like you know enjoy vegas kid trying to like figure out how to gamble and like i'm like wait i had 100 dollars, and 30 minutes later i don't and I'm like gambling's stupid all the pieces were falling into place the trade show starts, the bongs are set up, the big boss, Steve, shows up. They have like a, like, maybe woman of the night, stripper, girl, who is essentially supposed to like butter up the clients. And then we have like the con man, bong maker, Wes, who's calling himself the artist and running around with a turtleneck and he's like, total schmuck, like, just, just an idiot. So these are my dream bongs. <laughs> I mean, these things are pretty ugly. There are a lot of issues I have with them. They haven't been cooled down properly. Uh, so they're apt to break at any point. He cuts them in a tile saw and then dips them in the water, which we call death dust, which is this this fine glass powder. So they're coated on the inside with death dust. Death dust? Yeah, that made me really uncomfortable. So when you're cutting glass, it creates this flower fine silica dust that is inside, like it's in water. Like, so you have a kind of a bath of just white kind of murky water. And to quicken your cleanup time you would just dip it in the water and let it go and like and then let it dry out but when you do that silica dust is on the inside of that pipe you know and it's not like you're getting in there with a pipe cleaner it's not like you're even if you pour alcohol in there and swirl it around there's still that dust in there you know that dust is so hard to get off of anything 
so I saw this happening and I, and that was like, I will never smoke out of one of those. Cause it's yeah. Right. How much was he trying to sell them for? I think they're uh, like eight or 900 bucks each or something. What? Like wow. Yeah. I mean, some wow. they're in that ballpark. So anyway, like the, just the days go on. I think it's like a three day show. Meanwhile, the food supply cuts out. Like they had gone to Costco and gotten like, bunch of luna bars and like espresso coffee drinks for three days or something and it was like a 50 dollar costco run and i hadn't been paid at this point dude i mean like money but no one was coughing up the dough i just basically was like all right i'm gonna drink uh this starbucks drink it tastes like sugar and milk well i didn't like really at that age have the concept of like espresso down fully and so i would like slam one of these like starbucks drinks and then like my heart would just like start beating like crazy and then everyone would be like, well, what does it feel like when you take a hit from this, this bong? I don't smoke weed uh, at all. I don't, and I would just be like cranked up on coffee. And then they'd be like, get out of here, dude. You're like not selling this stuff. Okay, like I'll get out of here. And then I would just like slump over because of you know, no food and just coffee. And I call my mom, like, he's like, yeah, my mom, mom, like, I'm in Vegas. And my like heart's beating really funny. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Not like you've been experimenting with drugs. Like, no, oh, I promise I have it. Well, uh, good luck out there. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, sweet. Years later, it turns out I do have a faulty heart, and so I shouldn't have been drinking that much espresso. We're getting all these orders, right? <clears throat> and the con man, Wes, is just like jamming all these orders in his pocket. We're talking like just yellow slips of paper. Just like, so it starts to get to the to the investor, Steve, like bankroll, and he could, He's like, you need to give me those orders, man. Like, I got a computer, I got a girl here, we're going to answer them, we're going to keep track of everything. Nah, man, uh, I'm going to keep these in my pocket. I don't really trust too many people. So it goes on a little bit longer. And they, give me those orders, dude. He's like, uh, no, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm just going to keep them close to the chest. And so finally, Steve goes, I'm going to break your fucking knees if you don't give me those orders or take you out somewhere in the desert. And, and so Wes goes, oh, yeah, hold that thought. Runs out of the convention center, dives into a Mini Cooper with some chick that had, like, cruised in from L.A. and leaves me there with a really pissed off dude and a bunch of donkey dick bongs <laughs> in a convention center where my heart's beating funny I have no money. <laughs> Steve just walks up to me and he goes, You work for me now, kid. And I was like, You got it, boss. <laughs> you're packing these bongs up and you're taking them back to Seattle for me. And so we like pack all these things up, like dome in the back of this truck. And I still have this pilot car situation going on with Ogre and Caitlin. And Caitlin at this point is my friend now. I'm like, okay, I actually have like someone to talk to. Day one, nothing, nothing interesting. Day two, Nevada, driving, one point perspective road, nothing interesting. Poof, hood blows, smoke, truck explodes. I was like, maybe it's just a little, like, something in the line. I'm, like, jamming on the gas. It's like, and just, like, smoke is going. And I was like, oh, just, like, kick it out the pipes. <laughs> no, no, it didn't pan out. Pulled over, watched the pilot car go. No service by myself. Like, sick. Oh, those tweakers that were fooling with the car, like, didn't really know what they were doing, turns out. Interesting. Yeah, so I'm just waiting. And then finally, like an hour later, like the pilot van comes back. I was like, man, truck's done. Pulled the plates off. Let's just bail. No. 
That's not a good idea. I was like, yeah, oh, like we got this. No, dude. And so we like go back like an hour to get a U-Haul. I guess maybe we got it called a tow truck or something. Anyway, it really set us back. So then where I am driving a U-Haul now, Kaylin in the front. I get a call from Ogre, who's in the car in front of me. Pull over. I like, okay, so we pull over. He goes, The power just went out in my greenhouse. My crop is in jeopardy. Bummer toke. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, Here's Caitlin's shit. Threw it in the in the U-Haul. Threw all anything I had in there. It's like, hey yeah, peace. And just rips away <laughs> in his van. So get our act together and just keep going. I dropped Caitlin off south of Seattle somewhere. Never saw her again. Did she sell out our comforters with her? She had it the whole time we were driving, she's in a tiger onesie. And I have pictures of this whole thing. So I'm happy for anyone to try and call bullshit on this because I have, like, documentation of this whole charade. So I get to North Seattle and I drive this truck to Steve's house. And I'm like, hey, I've totaled my hours. Uh, you owe me $700. And he just, like, turns to me and he goes, I have a safe full of guns behind me. Wes ripped me off. You should get that money from him. I think he split to LA. Yeah, you're gonna help my property right now. Yeah, yeah, you got that, boss. <laughs> so I gotta do throw my stuff in the white van that they initially gave me and just stole a van. I just drove back to Seattle with the van. <laughs> and I decided this is gonna be my <laughs> collateral. And like, he doesn't even notice for like a week. And I get this call. Where's my van? It's like, where's my $700? I'm gonna send someone for you if you don't bring me that fucking van. And I was like, Where's my seven hundred dollars? Think about it. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, I probably shouldn't like keep this going. I take the van back to the property, and I guess I had my roommate at the time like run shuttle, so I like throw the van like right across the property line, like, left the keys in it, just like dove in my friend's car, and we just like <laughs> like peeled away. <laughs> and I went back to Seattle. And I was like, I should get another job. <laughs> What are you calling about? Hey, I'm Caitlin. Hey, do you, do you care about the smell of weed? What does it feel like when you take a hit from this, this bomb? This is my dream bomb. <laughs> Sounds like you've been experimenting with drugs. Like, no, I promise I have it. That's it for Love and Radio. This episode was produced by Phil Demohofsky and Stephen Jackson, both of whom also did the sound design. It featured the voice of Robert Birch, who shared some photos of his story with us. You can find them on our website, loveandradio.org. Love and Radio is an independent project and a labor of love and radio, and made possible thanks to our Patreon members, with extra special thanks to Ali Mothra Perry, Andrew Simmons, Casey Anderson, Dan Palmino, Jacqueline Leak, Jason V, Sam Huffman, Sandra Schroeder, and Edging. Candy Tuft. If you want to join the core group of folks helping make the most innovative audio in podcast land, you can become a member by going to loveandradio.org slash member. I'm Nicholas Sardine Punch Punch Vanderkolk. Thanks for listening. The power just went out in my greenhouse. My crop is in jeopardy. I was like, I'll never see you again. Pretty much. It's like, hey, yeah, peace. Peace. <laughs>